Welcome to North Bay Christ the King. You're listening to our weekly service message podcast. Join us every Sunday morning at 9.30 and 11 o'clock at our campus location in Birch Bay, Washington. Thank you for tuning in. morning. Uh, like they mentioned, one of my privileges is to be able to lead all five of our campuses, and it's fun. I'm on tour right now. Uh, last week I was in Ferndale. I'm here this week. I get to go back to Bellingham, and then I'm going down to our sister network. Um, I get to go to Burlington the week after that, and then eventually I'm going to go to downtown Bellingham. I, I, get, I just kind of have fun this summer visiting all our campuses, so it's good to be here with you this weekend. And um, we're in the middle of this series called Flawed. I love the concept behind this, that in the book of uh, Hebrews, chapter 11, there's this famous passage which we call the Hall of Faith. It's people who were of note, uh, of, of Jewish um, kind of uh, history that were like, these were famous people, these were important people, but these were faithful people. And as you look through this list of people, uh, they had all different sorts of personalities and all sorts of problems that went along with them. And I'm going to catch you up to where I'm going this morning. It's found kind of more towards the end of Hebrews chapter 11. It says this, he's already listed all these great people who have faith. And we've already learned, hey, it's without faith, it's impossible to please God. And then we hear this. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon and Barak. Samson and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised. Now, if you've been around church for some time, you'll probably know some of those names. And what's crazy is you probably don't know some of those names as well. Gideon broke jars, blew trumpets, and defeated an army. Super strong Samson did incredible feats. Samuel the priest had an amazing relationship with God. But the one who sticks out with me is King David. Now, I'll be honest with you, it may be the fact that my dad's name is David and my surname is King, so it might be very familiar to me. I don't know. But who is David? Who is this guy? Let me give you a little history. He is one of the most important kings of all Jewish history. David was the unexpected chosen king in 1 Samuel. God says, Samuel the prophet, he says, listen, I want you to go and pick a king for me. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to this little agricultural community called Bethlehem. And I want you to go to the house of Jesse. And there you're going to find the king. So Jesse is there. He he has all his sons line up. And and Samuel does what most of us would do. He looks at the oldest one, the tall one, the good-looking one. He goes, that's the guy, right? That's the one you want to have king. Listen to God's words. These were very potent. Do not look at his countenance or his tall stature, for I have rejected him. For it is not as man perceives it. A man looks at what is visible to the eyes, but God sees into the hearts. Isn't that the case? We love our first impressions, but God measures differently. So Samuel asks if Jesse has any more sons. He goes, well, yeah. And and Jesse had done the same thing that Samuel had done. He goes, well, yeah, I got the little one. You know, I got the kid. I got the one out tending the sheep. You mean David? You want to, you want to meet him? So he brings in this last son. He goes, yeah, that's it. That's the one God wants to anoint. So Samuel anoints David as king. 
And what I want to do in, in, in a very quick time is try to show you the impact that King David had through some of his accomplishments. I want, I want you to look at this list. As a young man, this shepherd boy took five smooth stones and a sling and he killed a literal giant's. Most everyone here has heard the story of David and Goliath, haven't we? He will forever be a legend because of that story. But more than just defeating one giant, he was an incredible warrior. He eliminated the surrounding competition, including the Amalekites, the Philistines, the Moabites, the Syrians, and the Ammonites. Again, you don't even know who those people are. But back in those days, these were the bad guys. In fact, he had an elite fighting force known as the Mighty Men. They were like the original SEAL Team 6, okay? This guy, I mean, they were stacked. Uh, David conquered the city of Jerusalem. He drove out the Philistines, who was the mortal enemy of the Israelites. And he restored Jerusalem for them and their culture. This is a very, very big deal. He brought the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. And this is a symbol of stability and strength. Having God in his rightful home matters. And uh, ultimately, it was his son who built a temple where God's house could be, uh, um, the ark could be housed permanently. But also, he set up a dynasty through a covenant with God. If I were to put it in modern language, he brought his people to the ultimate power power source. And in doing so, he stabilized his kingdom. But more importantly, he also had at that time, there were two parts of the kingdom. There was the northern part, Israel, and the southern part, Judah. And he brought both parts together and he unified the kingdom. Impressive resume? Oh, you bet it is. This is one powerful king. He was an amazing leader. In fact, it was said of him, think about this. He was a man after God's own heart. I mean, wow, what a compliment. David was not only great in battle, though, there was this whole other side to him. If you know the Bible, right in the middle of the Bible, there's this very large book called the Psalms. It's a book of poetry. And there's about, what, 150, 151 Psalms? David wrote about half of those Psalms. This guy was, I mean, really, amazing. Is there anything he couldn't do? I mean, warrior, poet, kingdom builder, unifier, a man after God's own heart. David was the complete package. He was the man of men. He was the king of kings. And looking back in Jewish history, historians would, would, would identify people who were in his lineage because it was important to be in his lineage. Everybody wanted to be part of the line of David. Because of his enormous role that he played in Jewish history. But here's the deal. Here's what you need to know. He was flawed. Deeply flawed. See, we have this idea in modern culture that if someone is flawed, that they're losers. They're incapable. They're unable to produce. Or they've somehow permanently disqualified themselves. If you notice, most of us get very shocked whenever we read the newspaper and we go, oh great, another priest, another pastor, another politician. They've screwed up their lives again. Oh my goodness, the world is falling apart. Can you believe that happens? The truth of the matter is, yes, I can. Because here's the common thing we share. We're all flawed creatures. Here's the deal. Even highly successful, highly capable people can still be flawed. Militarily, politically, spiritually, King David got the work done. 
No question about it. But he was still flawed. If you have a Bible or a Bible app, I want to encourage you right now to pull it out. So kids, you know, just don't want you to know, it's okay to pull your, uh, your phones out in church. It's totally cool. It's as long as you're open to the Bible app, all right? No, uh, no words with friends, all right? Um, we're going to be reading this incredible story about King David. And here's the thing you're going to see. Power and lust, two problems that we deal with today, they're not a new story. They're actually a very ancient story. And we're going to look back at this story and see just how relevant it is for us today. 2 Samuel chapter 11, starting at verse 1. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab um, out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. Joab was his commander of the army. He sent them out. This is the time when kings go off to war, but yet this king didn't go off. Interesting. Uh, but David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of his palace. Okay? In ancient Hebrew culture, it was much like the Spanish culture of today where they take a siesta. You know, they kind of take a break in the heat of the uh, afternoon and say, no, no, it's too hot to work. Let's take a nap right now. That's what they did in ancient culture as well. Okay? So he got up. He was walking around on his roof. And from his roof, he saw a beautiful, he saw a, wo a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to her. She came to him, and he slept with her. Now, she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanness. So then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. Okay, so we, a lot of action just got condensed there in a couple verses. Let me, let me, let's make sure we, we understand what's going on. David's in his palace. Remember, a palace in a kingdom is set usually on a hill above all the rest of the kingdom. And usually palaces are much bigger than a normal home. So he's looking down from the roof of his palace down to the roof of other people's homes. Normally, people on their roof would be in the privacy of their own home, except for one exception, is if someone from the palace was looking down on you. Okay? That's what King David was doing. And if you're thinking to yourself right now, oh, wait, 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 you know, these two kind of got together, it, you know, it always takes two to tango, right? Like, hey, not in this situation. This is a situation where the king was the king. He had complete control in his kingdom. He could have killed her if she would, she would have refused him. He had all authority, all power. There is no political correctness here. This is simply one man saying, this is what I want. And because he is the king of his kingdom, he got exactly what he wanted. He had total control. He has all the power. So what does David do when he finds out she's pregnant? Well, he tries to fix it in a way that uncontrolled power tries to fix things with more power. So David sent this word to Joab. Remember, that's the commander of his army. Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent him to David. And when Uriah came to him, David asked how Joab was, how the soldiers were, and how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah left the palace and a gift from the king was sent after him. It's kind of like a bride. It's trying to kind of get him, hey, just go, go chill, go relax at your home. But Uriah slept at the entrance of the palace with all his master's servants and did not go down to the house. David was told Uriah did not go home. So he asked Uriah, haven't you just come from a military campaign? Why don't you go home? 
Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah are staying in tents. My commander Joab and my Lord's men are camped in the open country. How could I go to my house and eat and drink and make love to my wife? As surely as you live, I will not do such a thing. He was a man of noble character. He was concerned about his brothers in battle. Then David said to him, stay here one more day. And tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. At David's invitation, he ate and drank with him. And David made him drunk. And again, the king could make somebody drunk because he could just keep saying, drink this, drink this, drink this. But in the evening, Uriah went out to sleep on the mat amongst his master's servants. He did not go home. So David is trying to cover his own sin by having Uriah come home from battle, get him drunk, and have him sleep with his wife so he would believe that this child conceived was from him. But Uriah is loyal. Uriah is faithful. Uriah is putting actually David's kingdom first, not his own. And this all-powerful king's trickery doesn't work. So then unfortunately he goes to plan B. And I will say this, it's amazing what happens when uncontrolled power does what it wants. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it, to, sent it with Uriah. In it, he wrote, put Uriah out front where the fighting is fiercest, then withdraw from him so he will be struck down and die. So while Joab had the city under siege, he put Uriah at a place where he knew the strongest defenders were. When the men of the city came out and fought against Joab, some of the men in David's army fell. Moreover, Uriah the Hittite died. Well, this is going to make everything okay, right? Problem solved. The good husband is dead. The scandal is covered. And soon King David will be inviting Bathsheba to join him in his palace as his wife. And then a baby will be born to them. And because he is powerful and because he is king, David almost got away with it. Almost. Well, until you realize that an earthly king is, can't even compare with our heavenly one. I, I want to remind you something about God. God sees everything. God knows everything. God is present at all times, everywhere. So, so God sends a message through one of his prophets. Now I want you to remind you who, what an Old Testament prophet is. An Old Testament prophet is, is typically a spokesperson for God. Their job is one thing. I want you to go and tell the truth on behalf of God. And so that's what Nathan was commissioned by God to do. Nathan, I want you to go to King David. I want you to tell him the truth. Here's what it says. The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, there were two men in a certain city, one rich and the other poor. So he's, going to, he's telling them a story to illustrate. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except for one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food and drank from his cup and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. This is like the, the original cat right here, you know, except it was a lamb. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. 
Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against this man and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. (laughs) David doesn't see it coming, does he? (laughs) Verse seven. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I would have given you even more. I want to pause here for a second. And I want to talk to any of you in the room who have power. If you're, if you own a business, if you're the boss, if you're a parent, if you're in control, I want you to remember something. Everything comes from God. Everything comes from God. He's in charge of all things and nothing escapes his sight. And God gives and God takes. And Nathan is reminding this mighty, powerful, well-respected, history-setting, legend-making king that he was flawed. And, And listen to the next question he asks in the text. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? David, why? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Out of your own household, I'm going to bring calamity on you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you. He will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all of Israel. God doesn't hold back. God doesn't like bullies. He doesn't respect uncontrolled power. And as powerful as King David is, this flaw of power and lust and murder does not escape God's sight. David will be punished for this. And if you know the rest of the story, you know all of this comes to be. But that's for another time. Church, if you've been around for the last few weeks, you know this flawed thing is universal. Everyone is flawed. Everyone suffers character weaknesses and sometimes nasty mistakes. We all have areas where we cut corners, ignore the signposts, reject good guidance, and simply do what we want. There's a Bible word for that. We all sin. That is our shared human condition. Now, you may be thinking, well, you're taught, but seriously, come on. I've never killed somebody. I've never slept with somebody else's spouse. Come on, I didn't do that. Yeah, but, but none of you are also kings of a literal kingdom. None of you have that type of power. What if you did? What if you had all power? Hmm. Can you imagine? Might it change you? Be careful how you judge. Because if you had all power, you might be tempted to do the very same 
things. Here's the deal. All of us, though, do have some type of power, whether it's at our work or, or at home or in our neighborhood or with our friends. We all have some power. And how we wield it matters very much. A couple weeks ago, um, my sister was coming to visit. And about the day before, my children informed me that the shower in the bathroom downstairs wasn't working. We live in a place where there's a lot of uh, minerals in the water and we're on a well. And uh, the minerals had clogged up the valve inside the shower. Easy fix. Here's one thing you need to know about me. When simple things become difficult, I'm not fun to be around. <laughs> My family's here. Can you attest to that? Yes. This is, they're like, amen, preacher, pastor, preacher, pastor. When little things that are supposed to be so simple become hard, I get really mad. Flaws in my character, I totally admit it. I'm confessing that to everyone. And all I needed, we turned the water off. It's very simple to change a valve. I, I, I'm somewhat handy, but it's very simple. All you have to do is pull it out. But first, I had to get an Allen wrench to take off the outer cover. All I needed was my kids to find me the Allen wrench. Go get me the Allen wrenches. So one gives me one set of Allen wrenches. We have a couple sets of Allen wrenches. We get all these. I must have 40 Allen wrenches. None of them are the right side. I'm starting to get so fra Come on, it's not that hard. All we need to do is just get the right size Allen wrench so I can get this off, so I can get this fixed, so we can get the water back on. Right, am I right? Yeah, yeah you know exactly what I'm talking about. In the middle of all this, the Holy Spirit of the living God speaks to me and says, you, now you didn't use these words. I'm going to reinterpret, but it's like you have the power right now. You can choose how you behave in this moment. You can either crush your children or you can get off your lazy butt and go out to the barn and help, help them find the Allen wrenches that would be the right size. So I got up, went out, I listened. Because what I realized is when we listen to God in those moments where we want to do what we want to do, it changes things. Here's the thing. That's exactly what David did. He listened. David heard the story and he didn't run from the story. And I want to submit this morning, that is the solution for the power trap. All of us have power at some level. It may not be killing somebody, but here's the deal. We all have an opportunity to use our, wield our power in the right way. And there's one way to do it. And that is to submit to God. Submit to God and it will work out right. Here's what David did. He owned it. Verse three, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan tells him the story. His response is, oh my goodness, I have sinned against the Lord. He owned it. He admitted he was wrong. In fact, we don't have any evidence in scripture that David ever did this again. And that, my friends, is what's called repentance. When you're walking down one path of life and you're going in a certain direction and you realize it's wrong, repentance is simply this. I'm going to turn around. I'm going to do an about face. I'm going to do a 180. I'm going to go back to what is right. I'm going to go back to what is righteous. That's what David did. He's like, oh my goodness, I totally screwed this up. I shouldn't have done this. We even have proof that David felt this way. Remember how I mentioned earlier in the beginning of the service that this guy was a poet? In the middle of the Psalms, there's this Psalm called Psalm 51. And at the title of the Psalm, it says, this is the Psalm that David wrote after Nathan had come and confronted him about his sin with Bathsheba. 
And I want to read these words of this psalm to you because I think what David did was absolutely brilliant. He didn't blame anyone else. He didn't say, oh, this shouldn't have happened to me. Oh, woe is me. He didn't cry about it. He simply owned his reality. And I think this is the solution for the power trap is that we have to submit to God. And so, so I want just to read these words to you because they're so potent. Verse one of Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassions, blot out my transgressions or my mistakes or my sins. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you and only you have have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Again, are you seeing the level of ownership? God, you're right. When you came to me and had Nathan tell me the story, you're absolutely right. That's exactly what I did. I screwed up. Then he even continues. He owns it even further. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. You're like, what the heck is hyssop? Hyssop uh, was a plant used for cleansing ceremonies back in the day. It's an ancient way of saying, God, make me clean, make me pure. And, and, And the next line just echoes that. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Do you see the level of ownership? So, So what do you do when your flaws take you down a wrong path? Right? What do you do? How, how, how do you own your junk when you've made one of the biggest errors of your life? Remember what was said of David in in Hebrews 11? He was one of the faithful. He's part of the hall of faith. How do faithful people respond to a holy God when their flawed character allows them to make devastating mistakes? I believe this psalm gives us an excellent framework to return to God. Again, it's that word, repents. You turn around. You let go. You own it. And the next couple verses in this psalm, I think, is what I'm going to call a prayer for total healing. David makes five asks of God that I think are absolutely informative to us. And if we feel feel like, man, I've really screwed up, I've really made a mistake, here is a great place to find out how do you unpack that. He says this, create in me a pure heart, O God. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. That's a prayer for total healing. I want to unpack this and see how these five different pieces can actually help us restore our relationship with God when we've gone down the wrong path, when our flawed characters allows us to do stupid things. The first thing that David asked for was, create in me a clean heart. He asked for a pure heart. That his core, the core of his being would match God. That he would imitate God. That his motives would be right all the time. And can I be honest? Most of us struggle with this idea of having a pure heart because we want what we want. 
If David would have prayed for a pure heart, this whole thing, remember, started with an idea. He looked down from his roof. He saw a beautiful woman bathe and said, I want that. If at that point he would have said, God, purify my heart. I don't get what I want just because I want it. I get what you give me because it's right. And I'm not going to lust after someone who's not mine, Lord. If he would have purified his heart in that moment, there would be no story to tell. This didn't start with him killing a guy. This started with him lusting after a woman. And it's amazing what happens when sin mounts upon sin. He had a choice. Had his heart been pure, it would never have happened. I think that is a great solution for so many of us, is that we would just ask, Lord, give me a pure heart. Secondly, he asked for a steadfast spirit. David was asking that he wouldn't fall into his flaws again. God, make my spirit right or righteous. He's surrendering his heart to God. He said, God, have your way with me. Make me your man. Not not part of the time, God, but make me your man all the time. That's this idea of steadfast, that every minute of every day, I'm going to be for you. And that's a second great prayer. He's, God, give me a steadfast spirit. May, may, May me be like you all the time. Third, he asked not to be cast away from God. Here's the truth. The inevitable result of sin is that we will feel disconnected from God. Everything that is sin opposes God. So when we sin, we oppose God. Of course, we're going to feel disconnected from God. But David's asking, hey, I don't want to be cast away from you, Lord. You know why he fears that? Because he watched his predecessor, Saul, the king before him. The Holy Spirit was literally taken from Saul because of Saul's disobedience. And and he's actually afraid of this. But here's the good news. We have Jesus. With Jesus, the Holy Spirit of the living God will never be taken away because Jesus made all things right. He didn't have that advantage, but we have that advantage today because of the incredible work. We now have a mediator that will never leave us because of the redemption that Jesus Christ gave us. Next, he asks for the restoration of the joy of salvation. I'm going to say this. It may be hard to let it sink in, but if you don't have joy, something's wrong with your relationship with Jesus. If you don't have joy, you don't have a relationship with Jesus that where it needs to be. Joy comes alone from our Savior. I'm not talking about happiness here. I'm talking about joy. This soul level um, concept that's more than a feeling. It's that literally I've actually understood the salvation that has been given to me and it has transformed me. When we understand grace, it just changes us. And he's saying, Lord, again and again, will I go back to that grace that's changed me and not let it leave me? When we have joy, our spirits are righted. When we have joy, our temptations are, are slighted. Joy elevates the right stuff and eliminates the wrong stuff. The joy of salvation matters. We need to have right connection with Jesus. And finally, David said, he asked for a willing spirit. And this is where we had started this whole thing as he owned it. His spirit was willing to say, Lord, whatever you want, whatever my discipline is, whatever my next steps need to be, Lord, however you want to correct me, however you want to rebuke me, I'll own it. That's a willing spirit. And I wonder how many of us resist the opportunity to be transformed because we really don't want what God wants for us. We want what we want. 
What David was praying was something different. Lord, make me want what you want. Give me a spirit that's willing to follow you wherever and however. Church, I believe if we pray these five things, that we ask for a pure heart, we ask for a steadfast spirit, we ask not to be cast away from God, ask for restoration of the joy of salvation, ask for a willing spirit. If we prayed that prayer, we would have healing from those flaws that catch us up all the time. And so what I'd like to do as a close of our services, I would like to pray that prayer over you. So I'm going to ask you to stand right now. Would you stand? And what we're going to do is I'm going to pray this prayer of blessing over you from Psalm 51. And then I've asked the worship team to come and sing a song. And I said, you know, for them, because they're young, this song was actually written before they were alive. Yes, this 1982, an old song. Um, which is hilarious. Uh, so Keith Green wrote this song from this passage years ago. And some of us old farts will remember this, right? Um, great song. So if you're young and you don't know it, don't worry. It's, it's not a new song. It's old. Um, but it's a song that will also center our hearts over these words and remind us that we have a God who wants to clean us up and make us right. So let me pray this prayer of blessing over you. Blessed are you, our Lord, our God, King of the universe, for you have given us life, and for that we are deeply appreciative. Lord Jesus, would you heal our brokenness, our power struggles, our lusts and evil thoughts we have towards others. Keep us from hurting, keep us from judging, and keep us from being unkind to others. Lord, create in us pure hearts. Give us a steadfast devotion to you. Lord Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice and how you have given us access to the Holy Spirit to mediate between our flaws and God's holiness. So Spirit of the living God, would you give us a tremendous reminder of your grace by restoring our joy and granting us a willingness to follow and obey and to be what you want us to be. Lord Jesus, lift our spirits and make them more like you. I ask this all in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, amen.